Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer in episode 57 of the Speaking Club podcast. I've been working for years to make my mind more can-do and my legs more can-can. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Welcome to the show. If you're new to the Speaking Club, it's nice to have you here. And if you're returning for more Speaking Club goodness, thanks for coming back. My guest this week is an Australian who migrated to the UK and now lives in Malaysia. She gets around a bit. She is an author, speaker and performance business coach. And she has programs focused on developing and strengthening your mindset. Her name is Gail Gibson. And in this show, we're exploring charisma, confidence, networking skills and speaking And there are lots of tips here if your mind is getting in your way. Let's do this. Welcome to the show, Gail Gibson. Thank you very much, Sarah. Cool. Now, the first thing I wanted to do is to get a brief canter through your life journey so far and how you got to where you are and what you do today. Okay, well, I trained as an early years teacher in Australia back in the late 90s. Uh, Sorry, the late, uh, yeah, it was early 90s, I do apologise. And I worked with children for about three years um, in an educational setting. And then I took myself off to Vancouver and I lived over there for a year and was a nanny to a wonderful family there. Um, I then, travelling was in my blood, I think, and um, I then met and married my husband and we backpacked through Africa for six months and we travelled to the UK um, and together we worked in the catering industry, um, worked in pubs and restaurants and I'd done that while I was a student back in um, Australia as well. We then went back to Australia, then moved back to the UK um, permanently in 1996 and I worked then as a school photographer in a medium-sized company, but I worked my way up to senior management. um, And that was, I then was the senior manager manager in the team for about nine years. And in that time, I was involved in training, people development and managing people. Um, And it was at that time that I started to really think about, well, I'd really like to work with developing people even more. And so in 2005, I had an epiphany at work where I had one of those light bulb moments and said, you know what, it's time for me to do something for myself. So I took a leap of faith and I left my career. And I thought, wow, what am I going to do now? I really didn't have a plan at that stage. Um, But I love to write. And so I set up my first business, True Expressions. And as a result of networking and writing for clients, so that was a communication services business. And I, as I say, went out and networked and I then um, wrote for customers. I wrote websites, I wrote blogs, articles, things like that. And in 2009, inspired by the networking I'd done, I wrote my first book, which is called Making Connections. And then I trained in that time as well, 
and became um, I, I completed an accredited coaching and mentoring diploma. And that brought me to where I'm at today as a business performance coach. And so through training, speaking, both in the UK and internationally and writing, I still write a lot, I love to blog. Uh, my coaching evolved and then I rebranded as Gail M. Gibson in 2013 uh, and then founded the Can Do Business Program in 2013 as well. But I think just the thing to end that is saying that teaching was actually a really strong theme throughout my entire career. So guiding, facilitating, I think it was a, a real foundation stone for me. Do you think you kind of find your, found your way back to it almost, to your roots, just a, a different version of it? I think so, yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, coaching has so many teaching principles. I think the guiding and facilitation especially, but even having developed people and worked with them and watched people grow, that's what education is all about. Yeah. And what was this, is this wonderless? So what, you know, you left Australia, what, did mm -hmm. you just want to sort of see the world? What, what was the impetus to sort of leave Australia in the first place? Um, I think it was just, just I, I'd always been touched by travel. I think I'd read so much and I, you know, I, I often tell the story of when I was seven years old, I was sent a postcard from one of my friends who was, who was English and she'd moved to Australia as a child. And she'd come back to visit family over here and she sent me a postcard and it was a, um, a picture of the Queen. So it was back in the 1970s. And I remember saying to my mum back then, I said to mum, one day I will live in the UK. And it was funny that the world, well, that my life came to pass and I did and I've lived in the UK for 24 years. So um, I've always been excited by travel and I think once I started doing it, I've never looked back and my husband and I together have travelled extensively for the last 25 years all over the world um, North America all through the Middle East um, through Africa all through Europe um, yeah just so many places and all through Southeast Asia as well where I'm at today in uh, beautiful Malaysia and I was going to say because you've recently moved over there haven't you what was what was the the reason for that decision um, one is well the most important one was lifestyle um, we knew that we had developed so many amazing skills that were very transportable and also could be done globally. Um, and we decided that um, at the age that we're at now, we thought, let's go and make a go of it. Um, yeah, the climate is a huge um, part of why we're here, but lifestyle wise. And also I have my family down in Australia still. So it's much nicer to be closer to them um, and have the opportunity to get there in less than half a day now, unlike over the last 20 odd years, it's been a whole day's travel. Wow, uh, to okay. see. So yeah. So when you say lifestyle, you, you, I think you, said, you mentioned to me the pace of life is quite different there. Mm, mm. Yeah, it is. It's, it's more about, um, yeah, it is about that lifestyle choices and working smarter, not harder so that we can enjoy this beautiful part of the world and, and travel a bit more throughout Southeast Asia and, and just enjoy that time without thinking we have to work every hour that God sends. And that's not why I work in the first place anyway, but it's, it's more about saying, let's do something that we really love doing. Let's build new experiences and opportunities out here, but do them at a pace that works for us. Brilliant. Excellent. Now I wanted to turn to your coaching you mentioned mm -hmm. your coaching and your coaching program and one of the mm -hmm. things that I found interesting in the coaching you do is 
the distinction you make between self and mindset. I don't think I've ever seen them separated out uh, that that much before. Can you explain a bit more about that to me? Oh, yes, yes. I think this, the story behind that is the reason why I separate them in terms of developing those skills in people is when I first started coaching, I found that most of my clients that were coming to me were women and they were coming to me because they said they wanted to grow their business. But what I very quickly realized was that they were lacking in those key self skills of self-image, self-worth, self-belief, self-confidence, and also the ability of self-leadership. And so I found that then the coaching was turning more to being a personal development um, coaching opportunity for them to build those key selves. And I think then I was able to work with them on the process of developing a strong can, a strong can do or growth mindset. And that's where I differentiate the two. The selves is really about developing you as an individual first so that you can then have the confidence, have that self-belief, know your self-worth and that value of your self-worth and feel confident about standing up and presenting yourself as well so that you can then go on and develop that strong growth mindset. Um, with, those, with those key self-skills, I believe then it's about having resilience as well so that you can really embrace what, are the, what is the process of having a strong growth mindset, which is being able to work through the fact that you need to put effort in to get the results that you want to achieve. You need to be able to face challenges and not be not see them as setbacks so much, but to be able to see them as um, opportunities. And also building that resilience allows you to look at failure. So when you have an improved self-worth and you value yourself more and you're more confident in yourself, when you're presented with a mistake or maybe a failure in your business, you don't just walk away from it, but you learn to have the skills and be resilient to learn from that mistake and be able to go forward. And then the final part of that growth process, the growth mindset process is about being able to deal with feedback as well. Cool. And so when, so when these, if you could give me some examples, so when these people came to you, so they'd come and say, look, I want to, I'm, I'm here because I want to grow my business. Mm-hmm. What sort of things came up, you know, in terms of getting in the way of that, that, that indicated to you that they were issues with, you know, their, their sort of their self identities is it fair to say identities definitely definitely i think the biggest one was confidence and it was but but taking a step back from that it was they didn't have a very high esteem so they didn't value themselves they had very low self-worth so they whether it was to do with conditioning or other traits that they had and characteristics that had been put upon them Um, or they put upon themselves and they didn't believe in their own abilities, that was where they had that lowered confidence in themselves. So they didn't have the skills initially to be able to grow their business because they didn't have the power in themselves. They faced fear and they pulled back from fear because they thought they couldn't do things. Um, And so they didn't have enough of that confidence in themselves to go on and grow a business first. They had to develop themselves first become more brave, um, more bold and develop the self-belief to then go on and say, you know what, I can do this. 
I can make this business a success. And so many of the women that I have worked with have then gone on to run incredible businesses. And I mean, you said that, you know, most of the people that work with you are women. Do you think Mm -hmm. that these sort of self-identity related issues are, are only, you know, happen to women? Or do you think that men have them too, in, in your experience? Yeah, I think that both men and women have them in business, but I think women are probably more inclined to want to develop them. Um, I have worked with a, probably probably about 10 men in my career, and all of them have actually worked on some of those selves with me as well because they were lacking in confidence and they were lacking in self-worth because of what other people had put on them or things that were holding them back in themselves um, or even down to how they came across and how they was perceived by others to do with self-image but a majority of my clients definitely I would say that it's probably it would probably be a, a, a 70 30 split mm. um, but I just think that it is that women will want to address those things in order to be able to step up to the next level Cool. And then you talk about um, three, so you have 12 C's in that program. Mm-hmm. The first three C's are charisma, conditioning and confidence. Can you tell mm-hmm. me about the first two? What, what do you mean by them and why do you think they're so important in business, this charisma and conditioning? Okay. So charisma, if we go with that one first, charisma to me is all about emotional intelligence and self-awareness, about how you come across, um, how others connect with you and how you connect with people about how present you are when it comes to building relationships with people but more importantly I think it's about having charisma in business and being successful and being charismatic is more about other people so it's about you thriving in your own self when you help other people to develop grow and succeed And I think self-awareness is so important because it is how much you are present when it comes to a conversation, when it comes to a relationship building. It's how much you listen and that you don't talk all the time, that you allow somebody else to, to share with you what they need to share so that it's not you taking over all the time. And it's how you develop then that skill with all of the connections that you make as well. Um, in business, I think it's, it is that it's about being aware of the things that we can be aware of. So our thoughts and emotions, our mindfulness, um, the beliefs and attitudes about how well you know yourself and which kind of traits maybe or personalities in you define your character or the things that you need to develop. Maybe it's the things that you fear and you shy away from as well that you need to um, work on yourself. And those behaviours and the decisions and how we respond to things like feedback, um, how we evaluate ourselves and then how we go forward and choose to act. So I think it's really the charisma is about thinking, acting and doing, but it's about how you develop the skills to do each one of those. And they are vital um, for business people. So then conditioning is, in my mind, it's about those things, those thoughts and those beliefs that hold us back and stop us from actually becoming who we were born to be. So it's those little limiting beliefs, those little dark angels that maybe sit on our shoulders and hold us back. Um, And a lot of the time, those things are down to environments that we grew up in. 
um, education, society, maybe religion, um, what somebody else told us or what they told us and then that formed our environment, our mindsets, the teachings, uh, all of those kinds of things. And so in business, it's the complete opposite. Rather than developing the skills that you need to develop as a charismatic person, in business, it's important to learn how to let go of those conditioned beliefs and those conditioned thoughts. It's about one of the biggest things that comes up to me when it comes to conditioning is procrastination and yourself as a business person too, Sarah, we all know that we procrastinate at times. That limits our potential. Um, we don't often prioritize. We don't get things done or be at our productive best or because of expectations and the level of expectation we set about ourselves because maybe of these conditioned uh, experiences, we never get anything started or actually never finish anything because we are aiming for perfection and we know that if we don't reach that level of perfection that we failed. Um, but I think more importantly, when people let go of conditioned thinking and conditioned belief systems, they can then step right out of their comfort zone. And in my mind, and I know personally, and I've watched other people do this too, that's really where the magic happens. Cool. So in terms of so charisma, what are the sort of top three things that you would tell people or that you'd work with people on to develop charisma? How, you know, if someone's listening, what, what's the first three things that they need to be doing to develop that charisma um, to be successful? In listening skills, learning how to listen to others. Um, learning how to be more present. So really switching off to all of those other distractions and also that, that givers gain. It's about how can you help somebody else to develop and grow and succeed? It's not just about yourself. So self-awareness, even though it's a self and it's about you, it's, a being, it's about how you need to start being aware of other people around you and that this journey isn't just about you, but the more that you can help others, the more that they will help you as well. Now, in the mindset bit, one of the things that caught my eye was currency. Mm -hmm. What was that all about? It's curious. Okay. Well, it is about money, but it's about more so it's about people's relationship with money. And that then links straight to value and self-worth. So in the work that I do, and particularly through the Can Do business program, when we talk about currency, we talk about um, what is your relationship with money? How do you value yourself? And pricing. And pricing is a huge, huge um, conditioned uh, part of self-development and personal development to be overcome. Because so many people that I have met, and I put my hand up too, when I started out in business, I didn't charge for my full worth. and and didn't learn through those systems. And then I got help and I worked with coaches and I helped, uh, I got support from other people to help me to work out my relationship with money and what my value was and what that all meant around how I then went on and built my business. So the pricing, the, the topic of pricing in business is one of those key areas that often when I've gone to networking groups or spoken at other groups or run workshops, so many people get stuck and they undervalue or devalue themselves and their businesses. And so in terms of that, they're actually devaluing their self-worth as well. That's, it is one that does come up, you know, yeah. and, and how, how do you get people to move through that, to start seeing 
the value of what they bring to the table? I think that really goes, it's a process of really drilling down why they're doing what they're doing. So what's the purpose behind their business, what they're actually delivering, looking at it in terms of financial planning aspects. So how much do they need to be earning? What is it that they're delivering? What is the problem that they're solving for other people? And what is the value attached to that in terms of their time, which I will always say to my clients, your own time is of the highest value. So you should be, you should be charging your time at the highest value. If you then run workshops or group situations um, around that or group learning around that, of course, you're not going to charge that same single value, but then it's helping people to really break down the process so that they then go away with a really good pricing structure so they know how much they're worth. And then as well as they gain knowledge, as they add value to themselves and their own development, they can then be charging more for their time on a one-to-one -one basis. It's really interesting, isn't it? This whole uh, price thing. So there's, mm. it, there's, there's two aspects that I always find interesting. So there was um, a book by a guy called uh, Robert Cialdini called Influence. And mm -hmm. psychologically, I'm sure you've heard this as well, that often when we underprice things, we turn people off because quite often price point is an indication of quality to a lot of people. And, That's you right. know, they'll, that, you know, if you price too low, the people will just think it's not worth it um mm -hmm. you, you sort of devalue it in their in their eyes so so Definitely. that's sorry say that again it's a good, it's, it's just like I, I say to so many people as well discounting and i know that we all run workshops and we have talks and we have maybe an early bird special in my mind that's not a discount but when people keep cutting price and keep discounting their services they're only devaluing themselves and discounting their own true worth yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, a lot of people were moving away from discounts to adding. Mm -hmm. But if you want to give an incentive, add something extra, don't That's right, the yeah. price. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Cool. Um, we've touched on this and I know your book is about this. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted to talk to you about networking next. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. This is such a daunting thing for a lot of us, especially when people are new to business, when they've just started out, they've left the, the safety and you know, protection and comfort of a corporate environment, perhaps, uh, and have gone out on their own. And, and whether you're a speaker or an entrepreneur, um, it, it is a daunting thing. So could you give me your top three tips for building a strong network and, and how to manage that first networking meeting, perhaps, as well? Certainly. I think if I look back at my experience from when I started running my business, I can relate to all of those things that you said, especially as a first timer. I remember going to my first event and I was thinking, I was, I mean, I'd spoken as a teacher, I'd talked to a room full of children and I'd done various speaking um, projects and, and things through my degree. But all of a sudden I was faced with these peers and thinking, wow, I'm brand new at this. What am I gonna talk about? How am I gonna tell people what I do? And I think um, I just, I did blunder my way through my first networking event and, and then people started talking to me and then I started learning from other people. And networking then for me became a key marketing tool and that's why I wrote my book, to help others to have those foundation points where they could be that first timer or develop some confidence and know what to say and how to say it and to whom. So I think the first tip that I would share um, when 
you go into a networking event is to be yourself. Now, over the years that I've been networking with people, there's been two trains of thought. Some people say, oh, you've got to stand up and talk like we and talk like you're much bigger than you are, even if you're a sole trader. Um, or you, you should hide behind, you should be talking in a real corporate speak and, and getting your message across that way. I've worked with a lot of people and I've really helped them to think about starting with sharing their own story right from the start. Talk about yourself, talk about why you're doing what you're doing and really niche yourself right from the start. If you try and be somebody else or try and be something else that is going to baffle everybody and it's not going to be, come across as, as an authentic exchange, then people are going to shy away from you because they're gonna think, well, who is that person really? So be yourself and share your own unique story about how you've got to where you've got to, what you're trying to do, what problem you're trying to solve, but more importantly, why you're doing what you're doing. What is the purpose behind your business rather than just what you do? The second one I would say to build a really strong network is to really think about nurturing relationships. Depending on the different networking groups that you go to, some may be, um, uh, may be men and women groups, others may be women only, um, others may be uh, industry specific, but I think it's really important to nurture and get to know people and to build a trusted a trusted community or tribe of your own of suppliers and advisors, people that you can turn to who will support you as you develop and grow your business. Um, the worst thing you can do is go in and just see networking as a sales opportunity because that is so not what it is. Um, it is really all about building mutually beneficial relationships with others. The third one I would say is keep an open mind be opportunistic and have a real can-do or growth mindset approach and ask lots and lots of questions. Um, again, going back to what we were saying about self-awareness before, I say to people, go to a networking group and follow the 80-20 rule, whereby you listen 80% of the time and only talk 20% of it. When you listen more and if you ask lots of questions, and those questions are open questions. You can teach yourself to listen for signals, especially when someone starts to, if you can drill somebody down in a conversation, then they'll start talking about the challenges they're facing or the problems that they're having. And that can allow you to start thinking about maybe somebody you know that can help them solve a problem. It may be you that can help them solve that problem. But more importantly, you can suggest a way that can open up the opportunity or being more opportunistic and opening up the dialogue so that you can have a longer conversation with them um, at a follow-up time. So I think it's important, as I said, be yourself, nurture relationships and have a very open, open mind. And going back to what you asked me then, Sarah, what's the, what's the tip that you'd give someone who's starting out for the first time? I would say that Go straight to the coffee table where the coffee and tea is made and strike up a conversation with somebody there because most people hate walking into a room filled with strangers. But just go straight to the coffee place because that's where there is a hive of activity and people just say to somebody, how was your journey here today? And that is one of the easiest questions you can ask to strike up a conversation with somebody.
Excellent. Some great tips there. I think, um, especially the first one about not using corporate speak, because mm-hmm. if, if you confuse, you lose, basically. If people can't understand what you're selling or what your service or product is, then then mm-hmm. you can, you know, you've lost the battle straight out of the game. Excellent. Sure. Okay. And one of the things that you talk about is being a super connector. What mm-hmm. is that? And how do you become one? Okay. Okay. It sounds like an electrical device, doesn't it? Put these <laughs> yeah. things together and make them work. Well, you know what really it is? It's something that adds power to connections. And I liken being super connected to putting the interests of others first. So it's my, my values are about the, the fact that I thrive when I help others succeed. So becoming a super connector is when you become the the go-to person to get things done. So people know then you are someone who, when you go networking or when you build your business to a certain level, that they can rely on you and they can come to you and say, Gail, I'm looking for such and such, or I need this doing, or Sarah, I need this doing. Can you recommend somebody to me? So in that exchange as well, they see you, they hold you in a place of high esteem. They value the connections and the collaboration opportunities um, or they value the fact that you can open doors for them. And as a spiritual person myself, I believe in giving to receive and the fact that it pays itself back tenfold. But I like to be able to share, especially with people who are starting out in business, but also people who are wanting to go for growth at that next level. If I can open doors to opportunities for them, I know that it will pay itself back to me. And that opens new doors for both myself, for them, for collaborations, for new projects, for new ventures. But most importantly, it's um, an opportunity to grow your business, to grow yourself personally, and to achieve that level of success. I was privileged to be able to connect with a super connector right at the start of my business journey. Um, And this woman has been she was pinnacle to a number of things that I then went on and did in my business. She is a fellow coach. She's an executive coach and a polar explorer. She was actually the first woman to um, reach the South Pole, first British woman to reach the South Pole. So she's an incredibly motivating woman. But she was somebody right at the start, she was able to recommend this person to me or go to for that one. So. Um, I guess I looked up to her and and saw her as somebody that I wanted to also become. And today in my business journey, I am a super connector and I I love to be able to help people get to that same stage. I think that's that's right. And it's about serving people and helping people. But in doing Mm. that as well, you're also staying front of mind, um, which means that when they have an opportunity that you can help with, then you, you're going to be one of the, the first people they call. It's a, it's absolutely true. If you help, you know, that reciprocity thing is really. Mm-hmm. I love that word very much. <laughs> yeah, so it's great. Okay, cool. Now I want to turn to your speaking. Now you've spoken in the Middle East. Um, I was really interested in how that came about and, and what you talked about there, just your curiosity, really. Yeah, lovely. Well, I, I guess the word that I wrote down straight away is serendipity. Now, my husband and I were on a wonderful uh, holiday in Hoi An. We were travelling down from Da Nang all the way down to Ho Chi Minh. And we had stopped in the delightful town of Hoi An. One night, we were just out and about, and we sat down at this little cafe to eat dinner. And this 
couple sat down and said, do you mind if we share this table with you? These people are called Michael and Natalie. And we struck up a conversation and we were both at um, times in our businesses where I was going for growth and I was um, had rebranded and I was looking for new opportunities in projects. And Michael was at a stage of his career and he was looking at a well-being and personal development aspect. And we just hit it off and we were talking about what we could do, what our values were, what our plans were, what ideas we were coming up with. And we thought, wow, there's something in this. And we both went back to our hotels with our respective partners and we just emailed each other the next day and said, we've got to do something with this. So we were talking over um, several months and then in we decided on a shared delivery of a two-day seminar in Dubai and Abu Dhabi, one in each city. And it was called Lifestyle Design for the Modern Woman. And so then there was a follow-up one-day seminar that I went back and did um, in Abu Dhabi um, a few months later. So the first one was in November 2015 and then in January 2016. And as a result of those the seminars that I delivered with Michael, they were so transformational in so many respects for myself, for him, for the women who attended, very inspirational. And I was very, very grateful for the opportunity to to work with him. Brilliant. And um, have you spoken uh, in the UK at all or, or, what's, what, yes. or in America? Yeah, I've spoken at quite a few events. One of my, my last event that I spoke at was earlier this year before I left uh, the UK was at the um, APDO Women's conference which is the association for professional declutterers and organizers and they'd asked me to come along and run a workshop on uh it was termed well i ran a ran a seminar stroke workshop on how to how to declutter your mindset and let go of shiny things from a business aspect it was helping them to think that they don't have to be doing everything all of the time and about prioritizing and working in a niche sector within their market. Brilliant. And how do you prepare for your talks when you do them? What's your sort of process for putting stuff together? Okay, well, firstly, I have a big mind dump, I guess, um, to think about the things that I already know, um, the, the experiences that I've had that I can bring into my presentation, um, working with people on a one-to-one or group experiences. Um, and then I think about the things that I can that I need to find, that I can inspire people a bit more, that I can challenge people's thinking on um, or motivate. Um, and I guess most importantly, what are the things that people can take away but that they can actually grasp onto and go and put into their lives straight away? So those, as you asked me before, those three key tips about networking, it's those kinds of things that I will always look for that I can include in my, in my presentations. So then the next stage of the process is really researching to how can I add those extras? Is it if I have to ask questions of other people in the sector or other people that I've worked with or my group of my community, my tribe, who can I get some advice and help from that I can add into, into my presentation? And then I'll build in those stories, relate those real life experiences, working with others, practice my presentation, Um, put it up as a PowerPoint if that's how it's been asked to be delivered. Um, And one of the golden rules I stick to with my PowerPoint presentations is that I only have a single image on any presentation. Um, I don't use words and I have a maximum of six slides. I don't do any more than that. So 
my images become my prompt to help me to um, to deliver what I want to deliver and get across, mixed in with the stories and the uh, real life experiences that I include. Um, and I've found that over the years, whenever I do my seminars or whether I do my workshop stroke seminar presentations, I really like to interact with my audience so that I can bounce off the questions um, and really involve my audience um, in the delivery. Thank you for that. That's uh, that's a really sort of thorough uh, process and lots of tips there for people. And I think, I think the images are so powerful and people really mm. underuse those and overuse mm. text as well. Thank you for all that good stuff. Now I've got some standard questions before I talk about how people can find out more about you, get the book and so on. Um, what's the best thing that speaking has done for you? I think it's opened up other opportunities and it really gives me so much inspiration when I speak. Um, because of the interactivity I like to get with my audience, I'm always inspired by the people in the room as much as I hope they are inspired by me. And in terms of that interaction, you mentioned it a couple of times, how, how do you create that? Is it different every time? Is it an exercise or questions? How, how do you use interaction? Um, it's a mixture of both of those things. I think sometimes, um, and, and you being a, a speaker yourself, Sarah, I think sometimes if you can, if you can bounce off the energy of the room, you might just throw in a, a one-liner, and I guess from your comedy routines as well, you'll throw in a one-line that can inspire a lot of discussion or I might build in an exercise that I want everybody else in the room to be doing together um, as well. Thank you. And have you had a, a bad gig? Is there something that sticks in your mind you're like, oh, no, not, I wish that hadn't happened? Um, I guess it was more of a training experience than a speaking experience where I went along and I was running a seminar for a company on the back end of somebody else who'd given me, um, who I thought had done their due diligence and got all of the, um, and had identified what the spec was of what had to be covered. So I produced um, a training workshop and spoke in front of a group of people and delivered half of it. And at lunchtime, I was told that I was completely on the wrong track with what I was delivering, that they had done all of what I had was working with them before and um, that they weren't going to pay me for the day. Oh, and so it was like, okay, wow. And so in my mind, I'm not somebody who will put the blame on somebody else, although the person that had got the gig for me clearly hadn't uh, explained or identified clearly enough what they wanted covered in the day. So I walked away quite graciously, walked away and sent in um, half of, uh, uh, I, I remember sending in an invoice for half of the money that had already been put up front for the design side of the uh, workshop. And I said to her, I don't expect anything else. And then she basically, uh, as a result of that, she verbally abused me down the phone for making her company look really bad. And, um, well, we parted ways and I've never spoken to her again. So um, she couldn't, I don't think she could actually, or had the self-awareness maybe, to realise that she um, had participated in the delivery not being to the client's needs. 
Oh gosh. Yeah. Um, that's, has it, has it, has that impacted on the way that you deal with things going forward? Is that definitely it's, it, I will always get a clear outline and clearly it, it's like a design brief for somebody who's designing a website for somebody. I will ask all the questions that are required first to make sure that that never happens again. And to this day, it never has because I guess my due diligence is that I really want to find out that I am delivering exactly what they want. That again, then gives me the opportunity to work out what I can do to really add that motivation, that inspiration, and what can I challenge my audience with to really get that interaction happening. Cool. Yeah, I think when you get burnt like that, it kind of, uh, you make sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and what's, okay, what's the, what's the one book you've read that's had most impact on your life and why? Wow. I guess there's been several, but one that I read just recently, and it's really had an impact not just on me, but on my can-do, one of my can-do groups is The One Thing by Gary Kemp. Uh, Gary Kemp, I think it is, yes. And it's all about having your one thing, that one vision, um, but only focusing on doing one thing at a time. So it really drills down some real core elements that are foundations of a lot of the coaching work that I do with my clients about knowing your purpose, prioritizing everything that you do and focusing only on that one thing because it's the most important thing that you need to be working on so that you can be at your productive best. And so you can start to create habits for yourself that allow you to only focus on that one thing. And as a result, you will achieve extraordinary results. So it's really, really given me a lot of clarity. Um, and I think with the move now to opening up new opportunities here in Malaysia, um, I still have a core of fantastic UK clients that I'm working with, but I'm opening up globally now. I've recently was traveling through America on my way here and I have opened up some opportunities over there with some new clients as well. So it's really thinking about what is my one thing now going forward that I can stay focused on because it meets my purpose. It allows me to prioritise and only work on that one thing so that I can get the results um, that, I, that I really want to achieve. Yeah, that's, that is a great book. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. I think that I have a, a, something on my wall from that book which says, mm -hmm. uh, what is the one thing that you can do such that by doing everything else becomes easier or unnecessary exactly and, that magic question yes <laughs> yeah it's, it is it is a good one brilliant okay and um, what's the best piece of business advice you've ever had and why oh wow you know the best piece I think I've ever had is to just do it and I think that really helped me develop a really strong can-do and growth mindset attitude was just to go you know what if you if you keep limiting yourself and don't go for these things what's the worst that can possibly happen if you don't go for it and what's the worst that can possibly happen if you do but if you you just got to go for things sometimes you've got to be opportunistic and as a result of that the times that I have just gone for things the best things have actually turned out and that is a good one and if you could have one mentor alive or dead fictional or non-fictional who would you choose and why Wow, um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good one, that is. Um, oh, I think as somebody, I, I think attached to the fact that, oh, well, you know what, I have, I have a, a mentor in my life. We co-coach each other and we have a monthly buzz chat. 
And that mentor is someone called Ruby Maguire. And she is a visibility, she's a visibility diva. Um, she helps small business owners and solopreneurs to really ramp up their visibility so that they can stop hiding behind, um, but hiding behind their websites, hiding behind their social media platforms, but actually get out there and be visible. And I think as far as mentoring is concerned, we, we enable each other to get things done because we hold each other accountable um, and we really inspire each other to make things happen in our businesses. Um, rather than having to say somebody famous or somebody really out there, um, I think working with somebody at the level that I am and have been working with Ruby, um, and I'm sure she would say this about me as well, co-coaching each other and having our buzz chats, as we like to call them once every couple of months, has really, really pushed both of us um, forward. It's pushed some great programs to be coming out. And it's really that shared like-mindedness and, and sharing very similar values um, going forward in our businesses. So I would definitely say right now in my life that it would be Ruby McGuire. Cool. Thank you very much for that. Well, that's brilliant. Thank you again for everything that you've shared. Now, if people want to find out more about you, uh, work with you, where's the best place for them to go? Okay, they can find out all about my business performance coaching programs and also the Can Do Business programs on my website, which is www.gailmgibson.com. They can find me on uh, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, all of those profiles are down as Gail, Gail M. Gibson or Gail Gibson. Excellent. I'll put the links in the show notes as well. And also to your book, Making Connections, it's called, isn't it? Making Connections right. and, and there's, a, there's a subtitle to it as well. That's right. Making Connections, How to Build Better Business Networks. And I'll put that to, together too. Well, Gail, thank you so much. I am very jealous because <clears throat> before we started talking, you, were, you had a fan on which you turned off. <laughs> so hot. Uh, it is sunny in the UK, but it's certainly not as hot as it is in Malaysia. <laughs> Um, th thank you for giving us your time and your expertise and sharing some great insight and tips with us on the show today and all the best uh, for your new life in Malaysia. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's been a pleasure to chat with you and, and thank you for the insightful questions that you've been asking me as well. You're welcome. Thanks a lot. Well, there you go. I hope you enjoyed this episode and you're ready to get out there and be a super connector. I'm admiring of Gail's decision to follow her dreams. And if you're listening in Malaysia, go and check her out live. Thanks again for listening to the show and spending your precious time with me. If you've enjoyed it, I'd love it if you could leave the show an honest review or rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe. Until next time, as usual, go out and grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Hey, if you're listening to this show because you want to start speaking or have a big talk or pitch coming up and you want to make it the best it can be, then you made the right choice because this podcast is the vehicle that can help you get there. But I wanted to tell you about something that will get you there even faster. Something that incorporates all the hacks, tools and tips I've picked up from my years in comedy, theatre, marketing and coaching. And that's my blueprint for creating and delivering a story-led talk that engages, inspires, and converts. And the best bit is that I'll be sharing my blueprint and the mindset hack that will help you overcome public speaking anxiety 
in a free webinar masterclass. To register, go to thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass. This puppy gives you the soup to nuts for creating powerful talks that connect with and engage your audience every time. So grab your place now. That's thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass.